You're listening to the Live Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Hey, good morning, Life Church. So glad to be with you. And uh, I'm really excited about this series, The Seven Realities of Experiencing God. And these principles are um, demonstrated throughout Scripture. And this is um, the journey of every person who uh, comes to know God and to do His will. And that's what everybody wants. That's a longing we all have to know and do the will of God. And so in this um, graphic on the screen here, I want to show you, I want to just kind of give you a picture of the seven realities. Alex talked about last week the fact that God is always working. And our job is to pay attention to that and look to join him in his work. Jesus said, my father is always working and I too am working. And this week we're going to be looking at the fact that when um, God is working and the first work he does is he pursues a relationship, a love relationship with you and I. And that's what we're going to talk about this week. And this week is so essential because without the relationship, the relationship is us Um, loving God, uh, receiving God's love, and walking with Him. And if we don't get this part, nothing else matters. So this week is critical. We're going to look at that in a minute. And as we come into a relationship with God, God invites us to join Him in His work. And um, if we haven't had an invitation recently, we might want to look at our relationship again, which we're talking about today. So God invites us to join Him as co-laborers. And as we join God, we hear from God. God speaks to his people, to us, by the Holy Spirit, through his word, and we'll be looking at that, through prayer, through uh, the community of faith, the church, and through circumstances. And we'll be looking at that in a few weeks. As we uh, are invited by God and we hear from God and we, we know what God wants us to do next, uh, to join him in his work and to do his will, we experience a crisis of faith a crisis of uh, belief. And this, when we, when, we're, when we sense God calling us to trust him, to go in a certain direction, we have a crisis that requires faith and action where we have to trust God and go with him, even though it feels scary or um, risky. And that requires that we make adjustments in our life um, to join God. And, and the culmination is, is we obey God and go with God on the journey he's calling us on, this adventure. And we experience him and come to know him more deeply. So we're going to be looking at all seven of those. Alex covered this last week. And this week we're on number two. The fact that God pursues a love relationship with you and I. It's real and practical. And uh, and so we're going to, I want to just start this um, message with uh, asking if you've ever lost something really important. Back in the early days of Life Church, when we were planting this church, we met in a school, not unlike we currently do. This is almost 20 years ago. And um, uh, church was growing, good things were happening, and, and we'd finished up the service. And you know how it is at the end of the service, and people are uh, just hanging out and enjoying one another, praying with one another. So I'm there, and uh, closing up, and things are finishing up, and um, I'm tired, and I'm looking forward to going home. So I get in my car, go home. And uh, I'm thinking, okay, I think we're having uh, we're having a lunch. I think we're maybe going to have some guests over. I come to the door and I say, hey, honey, uh, what's up? What's for lunch? And she looks at me weird and she says, 
where's Lucas? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I don't know. He's with you, right? Because you took all the kids home. We drove separately because we had this thing going on. And I was coming. And she said, no, you remember? I, I put my hand in you in live and said, I have all the kids except Lucas. Uh, he, you need to bring him home. Well, you know, I was like, panic attack, right? <laughs> I ran out the door. I get in the car. I rip over to the school. There's no one. I don't see any cars. I'm freaking out. I go through the front doors. I'm in the lobby. I go, Lucas, where are you? Nobody. And uh, then I go into the gym where we were meeting and I go, Lucas, where are you? Dead silent. Now the door was open, so I'm sure the janitor's around. So I cut over to the other side and I go to where our kids ministry is. And I yell, Lucas, where are you? I'm getting really freaked out. And Lucas comes out of a classroom. He goes, here I am, dad. And he was with our uh, Life Kids director at the time. I dropped everything to go back and find him. Why did I do that? You're like, duh, he's your kid. Yeah, but why? I pursued my son because I loved him and I love him. What would you have done if that was your child? You know, I could have went home to Marcy and said, hey, honey, um, I couldn't find him. But three out of four is not bad. Let's just put this in perspective. If I was a pro baseball player and that was my batting average, I would have a multi-million dollar contract. I'd be batting 750. By the way, don't say that at home. And I didn't say that to my wife. You don't say that because it's your kid, your child who you love. And, and so here's my question for you. Have you ever lost something that's been really important to you? Maybe it was something small, like your car keys or um, a valuable, a ring or uh, your phone. How did you feel? What did you do? Maybe you've lost something or someone that was more significant. Maybe today you're estranged from someone. Uh, maybe a child or a spouse or a parent or a close friend. And how does that make you feel, that, that brokenness, that, that separation in the relationship that you've lost? Uh, and what have you done with that relationship? Maybe you tried to bring them back. Maybe you tried to reconcile with them. Maybe you haven't and you feel this deep heartache and regret. Why is this so important? Because this is the central theme of the whole Bible, okay? You learn this one line or you're going to understand what the Bible is all about from Genesis to Revelation. And that's this, God lost something and he wants it back. You see, the Bible is not primarily a, a mystery novel that we're trying to figure stuff out on. It's not a science book, even though there's all kinds of truth in there. It's not meant to be a science book. It's not an encyclopedia where you can look up fun facts about things. It is primarily a love story about a father who created children in his image and loves them. You see, I want you to come back with me, and, and I've encouraged you to even read this this week, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And in Genesis 1, God is so good. It's part of the core of his character. And in his goodness, he created this world for us. You read Genesis 1, and it said God created the sun and the moon and the stars, and he separated the land from the sea. And you see, and, and, and he says over and over again, and it was good, and he produced vegetation and food for us to eat, and it was good, and there were animals and fish, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. He created this world for us, and then he created us for himself. In Genesis 1, and this isn't on your screen, but you can look it up. He's, God said, let us make mankind, women and men, 
in our image, in our likeness. He created this world for us and us for himself. He created us for a love relationship with himself and with others. That's why Jesus said, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Don't blink an eye. The greatest commandment is that you love the Lord your God. Do you have a love relationship with God? It's why you were created. It's why I was created. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And out of the overflow of that love, we love our neighbor as ourselves. And you see, we get this. Um, because love's hardwired into us. You, just think for a minute. I want you to pay attention to the music you're listening to, the shows you're watching, the books you read, movies, stories, life. It's all about love. Over and over again, the joy of finding true love. How many movies and books are written about the joy of finding true love, the beauty of growing love, or the agony of losing love, and the, and the heartache. And, and because this is what we are made for. God is love. And in his love, he made the world for us. And he made us for himself. And so when you read the first chapters of the Bible, you see that love story. And this is why in Genesis 1 and 2, it's so beautiful. And the woman and the man are walking with God. They're communing with God. And that's why Genesis 3, where we read about the Adam and Eve and their betrayal of God's love is so heart-wrenching. Uh, the serpent comes and says, God doesn't really love you because if he did, He'd give you everything and he's keeping something from you. You see, God made the garden. He made all these trees and he said, that's a yes tree. Eat that plum tree. That's a yes tree. Eat those bananas. All these beautiful trees all around. He said, you can eat from every tree in the garden, thousands of trees, but there's one no tree. And uh, this is um, to give you a choice. See, when um, uh, if we love isn't love unless we have a choice, I have to choose to love. Otherwise, I'm a robot. I'm forced to love. And um, and he said, there's one tree that's no. And every time you pass by that tree, you can say, this is because we love God. We're not, that's not the tree we're going to eat from. This is a sign of our love. We're being obedient to God and his love. And it was like the wedding ring of the relationship. See, my wedding ring is a, is a symbol. And uh, it's a yes symbol to my wife that I have chosen her as my spouse. She's my love. And, but it's also a no ring to any other would-be lovers. And, and that's what this tree was. And they rejected God and they um, chose another lover. They chose to go with the serpent. And when they did, when they disobeyed God, when they went against his love, sin entered the world. It broke everything. Now, we are very familiar with this right now because sin's like a disease or a virus. It's like COVID-19. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. He said, the thief, the serpent has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And Sin like a disease infects good things and makes them ill. So we think about the things over the last few two years that have been stolen, people feel have been taken from them, things that have been lost, things that have been destroyed. Think about the relationships and all the brokenness. And it's beyond COVID. It's, it's this sin that breaks relationships. Let me put it another way. Um, think about a mirror and how a mirror perfectly reflects reality. And sin is like a hammer hitting a mirror and it, and it breaks it. And suddenly everything that is reflected in that mirror is distorted. And sin distorts everything. It breaks everything. And sin broke our relationship with ourselves. We look around and people have no sense of wholeness and peace. They, they have anxiety. They have uh, uh, frustration. They have loneliness and insecurity and depression and shame and guilt. Where does all that come from? It's the part of us that's broken. We, this disintegration rather than integration in our souls. 
Sin has broken our relationships with one another. Think about why do we have such a hard time getting along in our families or in our marriages or in our communities. Look at what's happened in churches over the last few years. Look at our country over the last few years and all the division. That's, what's that from? Sin, the brokenness. And our relationship with God is the same thing. Why do we often feel this sense of deep sense of something missing and a lack of life uh, and that we sense is just out there beyond our reach? That's from sin. It created a division. Every good thing we were created for flows from our relationship with God. And sin broke that relationship. And yet, what does God do in response to this? And this is so important, so beautiful. In response to humanity's sin, our sin, what would you do if someone rejected you and, and did all these harmful things to you? I don't uh, I would just tell them, forget them, right? But what does God do in response to our rejection? Does he say, forget it? Does he say, I'm going to wipe the whole thing out? Does he walk away? No, we see the very heart of God in this next passage in Genesis 3, and this is so important, because bringing people back into a relationship with him, that love relationship, is God's mission. It's his goal. Adam and Eve are hiding from God because they know they sinned, and the Lord calls out to the man and the woman made in his image, and he says, here it is, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I miss you. I'm looking for you. I, I, I'm separated from you now, and I was meant to be with you. Why does God say this? Because he lost something, and he wants it back. Now, God's omniscient. He knows where they are. He didn't lose their physical location. He knows their GPS. He's got that right where they are. He didn't lose them physically. He lost the relationship. There was that gap, this space between them now, not because of his failure, but because of people's sin. And in this verse, we see two really important things about God that I want you to pay attention to. We, they disobey God, they reject God, and God is looking for them. And in that verse, we see God is a pursuing God. He's a missional God. He's looking for his lost children. He's actively pursuing us to restore them and, and, and heal them of their brokenness. And God is a loving God because he, love always does what's in the best interest of the beloved right? Amen. And he wants them to flourish and they cannot flourish apart from him. They can't live the way they were meant to live. This is God's why. It's his motivation for every other thing that happens in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, he wants the people he loves to be brought back into relationship with himself. He's actively pursuing that love relationship. So now this is why it makes total sense that when Jesus shows up on the scene, the father sent the son on a search and rescue mission to bring people back into relationship with him. And so Jesus' mission is to do the same thing. Look at what Luke 19 says. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus' mission. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. <gasps> You'll know the gasp in a, in a minute. And he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Think about that. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once 
and welcomed him gladly. Now I want you to think about this. Crowds are following Jesus. They're all around him. And he stops and he specifically talks to a guy up a tree. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Now, if you were to analyze that crowd and you were to say, hey, who's the worst person in this crowd? If you were to vote him off the island or something, Zacchaeus would be the guy. Everybody would go, oh no, yeah, that guy, he's the worst guy in the whole group. See, he's a broken and hurting guy who hurts other people. He is a tax collector. <gasps> he's not just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector, which means he runs the whole operation. And you're like, okay, what's such a big deal about that? I don't like the IRS, but they got to collect taxes. Israel was an oppressed nation. They were overrun by the Romans. And, and um, tax collectors were viewed as traitors because they would, they would work for the Romans to oppress their own people. So he is viewed as a traitor. He's working for the Romans and he's taking exorbitant taxes from his people. But here's the deal. To get rich and become a chief, you have to get really good at taking taxes because the Rome gets their part and then you're able to extort over and above and that's what you get paid. And so you can charge people two, three, four times and they can't just tell you no because you got soldiers at your shoulder ready to enforce this at any given moment. So this guy's an enemy, a traitor. It's like a government-backed drug dealer. And God knows this and sees this man who's broken and hurting and hurting other people because hurt people hurt people. And Jesus seeks Zacchaeus. Look at this. He, this crowd, he's seeking Zacchaeus. And I want you to notice this right now. This is so beautiful. He sees Zacchaeus. He stops and he sees him. And he knows Zacchaeus's name. He knows his name which is representative, he knows Zacchaeus' soul. The name of a person represents their character and who they are. That's why we say in the name of Jesus, we're calling on the character and person of Jesus when we pray. And he sees, he knows Zacchaeus' name. And he begins a relationship with Zacchaeus. When he invites Zacchaeus down and says, I got to stay at your house, he basically is saying, I'm your friend because the only reason you stay with people and eat with people, it's a, it's a, um, uh, a statement of friendship. And so he's actually going out. And that's why everybody in the crowd, as soon as Jesus says that, is what is he doing? Why would he be the guest of a sinner, of a tax collector? <clears throat> and Jesus saves Zacchaeus. Listen to this next part. It's not on your screen. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up. And said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him and everybody in that hearing, today's salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And now look at this, and I'll give you the punchline in just a minute. Okay. But before we move on, I want to just say this about you. Do you know Jesus is seeking you? That, that Maybe right while you're here today. He brought you here for this moment to hear from him that he sees you. And he knows your name. And he knows your loneliness. He knows your pain. He knows your, you, only things you know and he knows. And he wants to begin a relationship with you just like Zacchaeus. And he wants to 
cause you to flourish. And that's what that word salvation means. It means to experience the freedom of God, the flourishing of God, the redemption of God, so you can become who God created you to become. He sees you right now. Just know that. And then Jesus says, here's my mission. And this is the punchline of the whole thing in verse 10. For the son of man, he's talking about himself, came to seek. I'm, 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 on a, I'm going after and save the lost. And that's such a beautiful statement. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And this is really important because when people hear this word in our culture, they think a certain thing that's incorrect. When we think of lost, we think, oh, that person's damned or they're hopeless. Uh, they're a loser. That's not what it means biblically. See, lost denotes two really important things, value and belonging. Lost is all about value and belonging. You see, if you lose something that's worthless, you go, oh yeah, I'm really sad I lost my receipt to, you know, that, the gum this, um, that I bought or the, or the mints that I bought, but it's not like it mattered to me. I don't want to pollute, but I, it, I don't care. But when you lose something valuable, you go looking for it. And so the only reason you go seeking something lost is because it has great worth to you. It's, so if you lose your car keys, you're like, that's my car. You don't go, ah, well, someone else can have my car. You lose your child, you, you're going to go after them because they're so important and valuable to you. And the second thing lost uh, denotes is belonging. You see, the re loss biblically does, it means displaced. It means you have a home, you have a people, you have a place, and you've been displaced. Lucas, when I was looking for Lucas, the reason this was so um, uh, anxiety producing and, uh, is because Lucas belongs with me and his mom. Lucas belonged with his family. Lucas belonged in his home and he was displaced because he belonged. You weren't home. And Jesus wants to bring you home. Isn't that beautiful? This is why he came. Because he says, you're valuable to me. You belong with me. I see you. And I know you feel like you're on the margins or you're on the outsides. And I want you to know you're not. You're in. What if? Imagine if every person in the world understood and knew how God felt uh, that they're loved and they're valuable and they belong. Now, I want to read one of the most famous sections of Scripture. I'm only going to read a portion of it. John 3, 16. A lot of people know this verse. And it really captures this truth in a, in a concise way. It says, For God so loved the world, you and I, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, shall not perish, but we'll have eternal life with God, this flourishing life of abiding in God. And then the, verse 17 says, because for God sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And so let's put this together for a second. For God so loved the world, he sent his son. So we have to ask the question, why did God send his son? Because of his great love for you and for me. Do you see this? God's pursuing a love relationship with us. And he doesn't stop. So what does God want us to do? He wants us to respond to his love. God initiates this, but he won't force us because he doesn't force anybody. He gives us free will. He initiates this and he's initiating with you and I right now. And our job is to respond. And I want to give you three ways you can respond to God's love uh, according to what we're talking about here today. The first one is we receive his forgiveness. 
We sinned. We separated ourselves from God. And Jesus came out of his great love for us to share that love with his words, to share that love with his actions, and even to the place where he died for our sins. Because every sin will get paid for. Every wrong is going to get made right. And Jesus paid the price. So we receive his forgiveness. Have you received his forgiveness? And the second thing is we walk with God. And this is really important. This is a key part of us understanding how to live life with God, that we spend time with God every day. Um, when I was dating my wife, Marcy, um, I, I was, uh, we were just so in love. And, and, and when we were, <laughs> when I, I didn't go to spend time with her to go, hey, can you show me your W-2s and your resume? I want to learn some facts about you. Yeah, I learned some stuff about her, but why did I spend time with her? Because I loved her, because I enjoy being with her. And God wants us to have that kind of relationship with him, that we would walk with him. Adam and Eve, actually, right before God says, where are you? Why does God ask that question? Well, let me read this to you, okay? Uh, this, this little section that people miss quite frequently. It's in Genesis 3, verse 8. It said, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the, uh, in the garden, in the cool of the day. And they hid. What's God doing? He would go walk with Adam and Eve every night. This is that idea of a walk with God. It's repeated throughout scripture. The disciples followed Jesus and walked with God. That was what it meant to follow him. Jesus said, come follow me. And God wants you to experience his presence as you learn to walk with him. I want to give you an assignment this week, uh, uh, an encouragement. And I don't know how you do your time with God, but I would encourage you this week to actually take a real walk, to go out in a beautiful place in nature, go to a trail, walk around your neighborhood, and just spend time talking with God, sharing your love for him, your appreciation, your worshiping him, and just take a walk, a 15, 20, 30-minute walk, and just live into that reality just to shake it up for yourself. So we walk with God. And the last thing we do is, number we obey God. We obey him. Because obedience is doing the will of God that we know, that has been revealed. We want to do the, we say, yeah, I want to experience God. I want to know and do the will of God. Well, obedience is, hey, here's the will that I I shared with you to know. Now obey that. And then I'll show you the next thing. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, Here's the thing, we get this backwards. If you love me, Jesus said, you'll obey what I command because obedience is the outward expression of love, okay? Now, if you have an obedience problem, you might go, oh yeah, I gotta give more or I gotta serve more. Um, And I don't wanna encourage you, don't go down that road. You see, the issue is if we have an obedience problem, we really have a love problem. We have to say, hey, I... I, Lord, help me to love you. Holy Spirit, would you, would you help me to love the Father more? Because if we love him, Jesus says, we will obey him. So it's not about gritting our teeth more, although some, some things require discipline, but it's about cultivating that love relationship. So let me ask you this. Is there an area of your life where you know right now um, uh, the word of God says something and you're not obeying it? Is there some area in your life where Jesus has been like, hey, do this, Uh, reach out to that person, share my love with this person, serve that person, and you're not doing it. I want to encourage you to um, take a look at that and and say, okay, you're right, Lord. I, I I love you and I want to obey you.
Every other facet of our experiencing God hinges on this truth, that God pursues a love relationship with you. And it's a real relationship and it's practical. He's going to show us things and it's going to practically affect our life. So let me ask you this as we close. Are you growing in your love for God? And if not, or you haven't started that relationship, I want to give you an opportunity right now to re-surrender your life to Christ. He takes the initiative. It's our job to respond. So would you pray with me right now? Lord Jesus, I am inviting you right now. I'm saying yes to your love for me. And I've been going my own way. I've been doing my own thing. And I've felt that prompting in my heart. Even as I hear these words, Lord, I can sense you seeking me and drawing me and calling me. And I want to say yes, just like Zacchaeus, Lord, you're showing up at the base of the tree that I'm in. And I need you. And I want to say yes to your invitation. Jordan, come down. I want, to, I want to eat with you today. Pam, come down. I want to eat with you today. And Lord, I, I want to receive your life and your goodness. I thank you that you died for my sins. I want to receive your forgiveness. And Lord, I, I want to walk with you and learn to walk with you in a love relationship day by day. Will you please help me to do that? to walk with you and to obey you knowing because I know Lord that your ways are best. You know what's best for me. You want what's best for me. And as I obey you Lord, I'm going to walk into that place of flourishing and, and and fruitfulness. I love you Lord. I'm grateful for this time to hear your word and I pray Lord you'd help me to walk with you now in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed and made a decision to start following Christ or recommitted your life to Christ, we want to help you take your next steps. So will you message us right now and uh, let us know, and someone will follow up with you and help you take your next steps of faith. God bless.